Welcome to this week's Monday meeting. Today is July 15th, 2019. Monday meetings are a chance for motion designers all over the world to connect and ask questions, share inspiration, or hear presentations and interact with uh, industry leading artists on an equal playing field. Today is a open conversation and your hosts are Liam Clisham and Mark Cernosia. We've added this now in because we're gonna have some uh, additional hosts throughout the next few weeks, months, years, however long this happens. So now you know who is talking. If you have any questions or comments that seem to be spammy, we'll just mute you. If you have a question, please use the raise your hand function in Zoom that can be found under the participants tab, or you can even write question in the chat window and we will field those as the call progresses and call on them or call on you to ask them if you have a webcam or a mic. If not, we can ask them for you. As usual, this call is recorded and will be posted. So if you have any concerns about something that was said on the call, let us know and we can remove it from the uh, recording. So uh, other than that, Camp MoGraph is still jamming along. Tickets are still on sale. There may or may not be a special sale coming up around Seagraph, so keep your eyes, ears, social media, whatever, open for that. Uh, shout out to the sponsors for that. Maxon, Otoy, School of Motion, Red Giant, Pixel Plow, Insidium, and aescripts.com. Um, everything there is progressing well. We're really, let's see, about, what is it, two and a half months away. So it's approaching quick. So uh, if you haven't grabbed your ticket, get it soon. Um, let's see, anything else just in terms of like news here, opening topics, I put down half res tickets went on sale this week, half res eight out in Chicago. Um, looks like a pretty sweet lineup of speakers. We've got um, Billy Chitkin breaking down his, uh, I think he's breaking down the, is it the, I don't know how to say it, the Jim Connor something. Uh, it's like Ash Thorpe car video game thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> him and Julie Kraft will be talking uh, and presenting there and they both uh, started kind of a collective in Detroit called Box Fort. So that should be a, a really good talk, probably uh, just to hear about the projects they've worked on, but also probably how Box Fort came to be. Um, yeah, and they also are doing the titles this year too for Apple. Oh, they are. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Maybe I didn't read. Oh, yeah, including this year's titles for Half Res. All right. Uh, but some other really good presenters. So check out halfres.com for more info there. Uh, and then as alluded to earlier, Seagraph's coming up in about two weeks and a lot of the companies that have presence there uh, have started to release the different um, presenters and the lineups for, you know, the and schedules for online presentations and who's going to be there sharing their knowledge and showing off new technologies and features of programs. So keep your eyes and ears open surrounding that as well. Um, I know there's a bunch of Houdini stuff being announced there. It seems like, um, but 
Yeah, I haven't really been following, <laughs> been, like trying to disconnect this weekend a bit. But like, there's a rumor that there's going to be new light operators. So like a specific new thing to make look dev faster. Um, mm, cool. Yeah, Dave, like you just said in the chat, the Maxon lineup is killer this year and like very diverse, which is awesome because not to knock Maxon for NAB, but and I know it's not really their fault, but it's not very, very diverse at NAB. So it's really great to see that CGRAPH is going to be super diverse with uh, presentations. Um, something, you're talking about something, Mark. Oh, Camp MoGraph. Just wanted to go back on something there, and I don't think we've actually said it, but sales are going to be stopping um mm. month before the event um i think what did we say september 6th Friday yeah september. pretty much right after labor day here in the states uh, so while yeah while it's two months away just keep that in mind if people are considering going that you actually don't have like two months to decide you've only got until september 6th yes and that's just for kind of logistical reasons on our part, just so we can lock in the numbers and make sure that all the promos and stuff that we have lined up for you guys, uh, we'll have enough of it. So, um, that should be great. Um, anything else besides we, uh, in, before we get into like, uh, the discussion? Um, I think we covered it all. Cool. Anyone else have anything that seems super important before we just start chatting away? No, no, I'm good. All right. Um, cool. Well, with that being said, we can open it up uh, to anyone that might have um, a topic or, or whatnot for this week. Um, I think that's probably a good. JC just said in the chat, "How about the late fee discussion that's been going yeah. on? Did you follow that at all on Twitter or Slack?" I've dipped in and out of it a little bit, but I have not been too active in it. I don't know. Do you want to kind of recap it for anyone who hasn't been following? Sure. I, the quick like thirty-second snippet that it's probably going to be even wrong, but. From what I gathered on Twitter is somebody asked a question about charging late fees and how to actually enforce them. Um, so there's a whole discussion around that, but then also the legal side of things and how much you can charge per year and per day and, and all that and how much can you enforce that. Um, so I think that's pretty much the gist of it. Um, I'd be interested to see and we kind of have a small group today, but who here actually uses late fees on the invoicing? Because I have done it in the past, but I've kind of steered away from it a little bit, or at least like the enforcing part of it. I've gotten a lot more lenient on there, um, especially as I am in business more, I kind of understand the logistics of things and like payments and like how things have to get handled. So um, I'd be interested to hear who here is actually using late fees and then we can start to like get into the nitty gritty of it. Do you use them, Mark? I, I, I know I work with you sometimes on projects, but I don't even know if you use them. I mean, it's one of those things that I really have never, I have it in my contract in my contracts about like, you know, late fee would be charged 2% compounding over time or whatever it is. But 
for the most part, uh, I don't know if threat is really the right word for it, but if I start bringing it up to the client, they seem to, you know, um, it kind of kicks their butt into gear. So I'm like, Hey, there's the late fee penalty. If, if this isn't paid, we're past the due date, you know, I'm happy to waive that if I can get payment in, you know, today or the next 48 hours or whatnot. So that's always worked for me. So essentially since it's in a written contract, it should somewhat hold water, but, uh, I've never really had to enforce it and like actually bring that charge to fruition. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to be kind of like a pain in the ass about it too. Um, like with late fees, like if, if I didn't get paid on time, it's like, all right, then I'm enforcing a late fee lately. I haven't really just because I, I don't know. I want to try and keep morale higher with clients and like the relationship better. And um, it kind of depends on who I'm working with too, a little bit. Like if I'm working with a bigger client and say it's, say it's a big, big company and they have like an accounts payable and accounts receivable and like things like that, then they have systems in place and they should really kind of work like a machine in my opinion. And I'm more likely to go after them about a late fee than like a smaller shop or like another freelancer that's brought me on just because I like, I know things happen and like things slip through the cracks and things like that. Um, but for like a bigger corporation, I feel like they're, they're supposed to be more of a well-oiled machine. So get on it. Um, say, Penny, do you want to chime in at all? Do you do late fees? No, I've never have. Um, I've been really pretty lucky about uh, about clients. I, I generally haven't been paid crazy late by most of my clients and the amount of time I've been doing this. I, yeah, I've, I've never really been, I don't know. Honestly, like I, the only thing I've ever held some clients to is overtime. And even then I'm pretty lenient usually. Yeah, I've actually been more apt about overtime lately than late feeds. And JC, if you want to chime in too, I think that's a good point to start. Like, when do you actually start enforcing the late fee? Because um, I, I've got, like, like I was just saying, I've gotten a lot more lenient that like if it's, if I get a confirmation that they're sending out a payment and I'm going to get it at 35 days or 40 days and it's in the mail, I know that then I usually will drop it. And JC, you're saying two times your net. So like if you're at net 30, then you'll start enforcing it at net 60. Yeah, that's in general what I do. Um, in order to get paid, like I understand, like you said, I understand that things slip through the cracks. Um, and so I I send an email through my, my invoicing software at, at my net, but I actually, I, I have written it in a way that sounds like it's an automatic email. So it's like, oh, like invoice number number hasn't been paid yet. Make sure that you pay it. Uh, this is from FreshBooks or whatever. Uh, and that actually works more than anything else because it sounds like it's an automated email. It's like, oh, hey, we checked in and you didn't pay it. But like, it's not as personal as like, hey, poke, poke, poke. 
give me money. Uh, but yeah, after that, if it's been two times my net, then I'll bring up the late B thing. I mean, it's it's in the contract and it's on my invoice at the bottom in smaller print. But uh, kind of all the points have been up. But I like if it's two times the net and they ha I haven't been in discussion with them already about it. Like then I, I don't feel guilty about it. It's like okay, this is what we agreed on. I gave you like literally a hundred percent leeway. Uh, it's still not like around, uh, and that's when I started enforcing that. Yeah, I, like I've actually found something that worked a little bit better for me last year that I've kept going is for people that were repeat offenders. I renegotiated my contract to be net 15 for most of them. And that seemed to work better because then at net 15, I could say, hey, it's it's due. And they're like, oh, well, we usually pay net 30. And then I can be like, okay, I can give you a little bit of leeway on this. And then I end up getting paid net 30 anyway. Or those clients that where I had them at net 30 and they weren't paying on time that start going to like net 45 and net 60. And there's just something about like having that net 15, like middle of the month reminder that started getting me paid like closer to on time with like a, a normal net 30 on time. Yeah, I do the same. I All my terms are net 15, knowing that most of people paid net 30. But again, in, within that contract, having the late fee and all that, as it progresses, I can be like, hey, like I already cut you a break. I didn't charge you the late fee for net 30, but hey, we're now at net 60 or, you know, I don't know, just uh, it kind of gives you a little bit of an upper hand there. Um, but every client's different. Yeah. I kind of like, I want to go back a little bit to what Penny just said in the chat and Penny, it looks like you're eating breakfast, so you don't have to chime in if you don't want to. Um, but about things being dictated by the studio that I've worked for. So I've, I've run into that a lot too. And this might just steer into contract talk a bit, but I often will get contracts from a client and I read through them and they are terrible, like not like terrible in multiple ways. And sometimes it's like spelling mistakes and like them just not paying attention to things or like, for me, it's really important that they put my LLC in there and they're not just hiring me, my name, because I'll often subcontract things too. And I want that to be really clear. So what, what has been strange for me lately is like trying to not, upset in clients by telling them like your contracts kind of shitty can we use mine so do you guys deal with that at all like how like how do you say like can we actually use mine instead or do you just deal with the contract that you're given a lot of times i there's two contracts i that's probably like counterintuitive and they probably would cancel each other out but like um they might have like a, a quick scope of work or, you know, their basic templated contract, which, okay, I'll look it over and I'll sign. But if there's like loopholes or like, for instance, in some of my contracts with some of my clients, I have, I state that I don't give up my project files. If you would like them, I can do it for a fee. You know, so like a lot of times that's, uh, that's like different in my contract compared to theirs. So in a way, like if they sign mine too, then they're agreeing to those terms. 
you know, because there's no terms in their contract about that. So I don't know. I think it's almost a way of piecemealing it together. Again, I'm no lawyer. I have no legal fucking training or whatever the fuck it's called. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think that it, if I can present them with my terms and my contract, uh, then I can enforce kind of the, the values and the rules I have for myself and my business and they can do it with theirs, but I don't know. They're agreeing to my terms. Did you want to chime in JC? Cause I mean, that's a great reminder you just put in the chat. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, just a reminder that on any contracts, uh, at least in the U S I don't know about any other countries, uh, you can just strike through things you don't like. Uh, and that's legally binding as if it's not there. Uh, it's kind of a dick move sometimes, but uh, usually companies, the people who send you contracts only look to see if you signed it. So if you if there's like a, a single line that you're worried about, it, it's worth striking it through and signing and sending it back uh, anyway. Uh, I mean, my, my ex, I mean, my limited experience is I haven't fallen into the legal loophole, like the legal troubles with the contract. So uh, normally, it's totally fine, uh, but yeah, that's a good point, Penny. And just to clarify what Penny said, she said, uh, if you don't tell them and then enforce it, it's going to be a lost client, which I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've dealt with that. I, I remember specifically one client last year that was kind of a pain in the ass about it. And there are like sections in there that just didn't apply to me, like non-compete shit that you would give to like an employee. It's like, well, I need to be able to compete against you. Like that, that's how this works. And I, like, I, I need to be able to find work. So like the specific wording was something like, you can't go after any clients that they have that are within like a hundred mile radius. And I was like, well, that's pretty much like everyone fucking around me. Like, so, um, I ended up just completely deleting it out of the contract and not, not even doing a strike through, but just deleting it out and like renaming the sections and send it back to them. I was like, this is what I agree to. And I didn't hide it from them. I was just like, I just took out these sections and they were a little iffy at first, but they ended up signing it anyway. And they're just wanting to move forward with the project. So um, definitely voice concerns, but at the same time, don't be a pushover about things. Like you, you definitely have the right to, to bring things up. Uh, yeah, Penny, a non-compete. <laughs> Definitely. I'm going back to the chat. Um, I've never seen that in a freelance contract. And it, like the, that was just like a dick move on their part. Like I, I don't know why they would even do that. So Kevin, what's up, dude? You haven't been here in a long time. I just wanted to say hey to you. <laughs> Hi. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on contracts and stuff? Yeah, um, the cost of a lawyer, uh, especially an entertainment attorney, if you're working for any sort of media industry, any anything really, I mean, we're technically doing motion graphics, so we're doing video, it falls into the world of entertainment. Finding an entertainment attorney is probably the smartest thing to do after you've already set up your business. And the cost of an entertainment attorney is a lot less than most people would think that it is. Um, you know, so it's it's worth getting all your contracts in line, whether it's uh, 
<laughs> um, whether it's for your own service agreements or having the ability to just like reach out and like build a relationship with an attorney and be like, Hey, could you look this over for me? Something doesn't seem right here. What do you think? You know, um, that's if you don't have any legal training yourself, that that's pretty much it. And also I've never heard of an non compete in a freelance contract. I feel like a lot of the contracts that I've run into, whether it's from, record labels that use outdated contracts like uh for pretty much the entirety of my time doing music videos uh the labels use the exact same contracts like both uh warner and universal two major umbrella companies that have a bunch of sub labels under them both use the exact same contract and that contract was formed in the 80s and it asks you for like film negatives and you know like beta tapes and things like that when we're shooting on red camera and stuff but the point being that, uh, like, in the instance of, uh, for in like, the non-compete, I feel like a lot of the contracts are built based on, they're not custom built from attorneys for them. Some, a lot are, but there are some cases where some people just, like, do what they think is necessary or what they think is supposed to be done, like a, an NDA or, you know, like a non-compete. If they don't even know the difference, that you know, like, the N in there might confuse them and that might be the motivation for getting that stuff in there. But the, the only real legit way is to have an attorney do it. That's, that's it. Those are my thoughts on it. Yeah. Like even, even like the mo uh, what is it? The motion hatch contract, like that's mm -hmm. great. It's a great template, but I still have a relationship with a lawyer. Look like knock. I don't know if this is luck luckily or not luckily, but it's my father-in-law, so I can kind of get free legal advice because he's a lawyer, but I should. Sounds pretty lucky. It, well, it's kind of lucky, but if I like ever screw up something in my marriage, I'm totally screwed. So uh, <laughs> there's, there's that aspect of it. Um, but I had him read through the contract too, just to like make sure. And he just like pointed out little things just because we're in the state of Maryland and there's little things that are important here that don't apply to like Delaware or to Texas or wherever you are. Um, so just keep that in mind that even if you download something that that's like as great as the motion hatch contract, just befriend a lawyer somewhere, or even if you have to pay them like a couple hours of their time to read through your stuff, to make sure it's tight for your business and the state that you're in or country that you're in. Oh yeah. There's another thing about uh, the payment stuff too. It's like everybody's, everybody's a person at the end of the day and lawyers are not always a cold hearted, clean, like straight cutthroat business. You can actually talk to them and barter uh, their time with something like if they need uh, a video or website or something like if you're in that position i know a lot of people are actually like especially attorneys are quite open to bartering because they're able to set up the contracts that negotiate the barter so that's that's another thought you should never be in a position where you feel like you can't because you can't afford it because the world operates on money but it's not the only way that money works you know trade is also is good a lot of times yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, JC. Um, a bunch of people here in Chicago um, once uh, banded together and they had like their generic contract and they all went to a lawyer together. Um, not, and so basically they just went all, everyone like got a piece of the lawyer's time um, and that was like a good like community thing to do and everybody really, 
not enjoyed it, but like it was a good thing to do. Uh, so that's something worth thinking about with the people in your area. Yeah, and uh, what I was gonna say too is laws change state to state too. You know, like depending on where um, where you're trying to enforce your contract per se. Like in my contract, I'm based in Vermont, so I have a clause or like the last paragraph is like if if anything goes to court or whatnot, it'll be settled in the state of Vermont. So I'm not flying to wherever the client is uh, to deal with it, you know, cause that's just more added expense. Um, and I guess getting into fees and all that too, that all varies state by state. Again, I'm not like fully trained in this, but in terms of, um, how you can charge either late fees or, um, a lot of discussion pops up online about charging, excuse me, uh, like credit card processing fees and stuff and how that's, pretty illegal in most states to pass that fee onto your client. Um, but again, very state by state. So it's always yeah. good to brush up on where, what the laws are uh, locally. Yeah. Cause I think the Twitter conversation got to a point and I forget who was saying it, but they charge like almost 2% a day that it's late, which would like on a $10,000 thing, I think Noah had done the math would equal like almost $500,000 by the end of the year. Uh, yeah, JC, I think that's who it was too. I don't really want to call them out there <laughs> directly just in case. Um, but like, that's definitely not legal. And then going to like the credit card thing. Um, I think I, I looked it up one time and the only state that I can recall is Montana is the only one that like lets you pass it through to a client, but like everywhere else it's like completely illegal to pass on credit card charges or credit card fees. Like you pretty much have to eat that, which for me is fine. Cause it's a, it's a tax write off. Like anything that are fees like that, just write it off your taxes. So what's up, Matt? It has been a minute. He's in the chat. Um, yeah, I had to walk away to get a hoodie, so I kind of lost track of the conversation a little bit. <laughs> Did you want to... Yeah, you picked up pretty good there. Okay. Um, yeah, contract. Yeah, no, that was good. Um, I don't know if we want to necessarily open up this can of worms, but yesterday in the MoGraph Slack, there was a lot of discussion happening around what... It, what's considered motion graphics or motion design or what do we call what we do? Is it animation? Is it motion design? Is it MoGraph? Is it motion graphic? I, you know, it's, yeah, it's a can of worms. It could probably be like a five hour podcast. Um, but yeah, I don't know if anyone has uh, strong feelings either way. Um, Liam, you, I remember you uh, chimed in in that discussion and made a pretty good point about motion design. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that. Sure. Yeah, I think everyone should have a chance, especially like Penny, you just said yes. So I'm glad to hear that you want to chime in too. And Sage in the chat is saying, does it matter? At the end of the day, I don't think it really matters so much. It kind of matters to like everybody internally for their own personal reasons. Um, yeah, like it's a little bit gatekeeping a little bit. And I like the idea that our industry can evolve through. Um, let me pull what I said, but essentially what I, I said was that 
I, I really like the term motion design out of all the terms. So like, let's break them down. There's animation, motion graphics, MoGraph, and motion design, or and motion graphics design, I guess is another one that we can throw in there. Um, for me, uh, I really like motion design the best because it seems to take into account everything that we do where like, like animation seems very specific and I compared it to like art versus design. Like art is very much about storytelling and you could say it's about communication and there's a whole wormhole that we can go down with that. But a lot of it's like story and like conveying a story. And when you look at it, you're like, oh, this is kind of telling the story of this. Of course, there's abstract art and everything. Well, design is very much about communication and having a purpose, at least in my eyes. That's how, when I went to school, that's the way I divided it up. Um, it's a lot more structured and there's rules. Well, art, there's there's rules and stuff and there's guidelines, but you, you, you can kind of do whatever you want while design is like, Let's, let's try and keep within these bounds and like align stuff this way and, and grids and, and all that and Bauhaus stuff. And I think that carries over into motion design a lot versus like animation. Animation seems very much geared towards storytelling and like Disney and Pixar. And that's, I equate that to animation a lot more like just the broad term of animation and motion design, we're pretty much animating design or we're making design move in the sense of like design is to art and all that. So um, I, I think motion design fits it best. And I said, I don't really like the term motion graphics or MoGraph. Like I'm fine with MoGraph as a term for like shortening and like hashtags and things like that. But as far as like describing what we do to others, I think motion design encompasses it a lot. And now I see a lot of people chiming in the chat. So um, Penny, why don't, why don't you chime in? Cause you're the first person I saw that said my answer is yes to this. Oh, my answer yes means like, yeah, whatever you kind of want to call it. I'm, I'm not super, uh, super picky. Um, I was just kind of like, you know, to all the different answers, like it's just so vague. Um, but I will say that I am on the side of not being too vague because I saw a job posting recently that made me angry. Um, it was some company, corporate, whatever, and they were hiring a motion artist, whatever. And uh, they referred to the person as a like motion producer. And this was as an artist. And like, I, it made me like, otherwise I might be like, ah, whatever you want to call yourself. But then I, I found this example of a time when it was so unclear what they wanted. Like, I'm like, wait, are you hiring a producer or are you hiring someone who is producing the graphics? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think like when it comes down to like mo, motion graphics or MoGraph versus Mo design versus whatever, I, I, it feels a little splitty hairs to me. Um, and it kind of ends up coming down to what, you know, like it's, it's ultimately communication, right? If the client is looking for a motion graphics person or looking for a motion designer, like whatever, you know, that's, that's cool. Can you provide it, you know, based on, on like, it's, it's close enough, I think. I, I, I do think it's muddied the waters a little bit that, that the tool in Maxon is called MoGraph that has sort of changed the idea. But I mean, like, when I was in school in, like, the late 90s, my track was called Motion Graphics. And 
I mean, you know, I've done everything from visual effects and compositing to broadcast graphics and, you know, whatever. And just, it's, I think we can get more specific and dial it down uh, when we're actually talking project to project. But, you know, like whoever I'm talking to, I'll be like, well, I'm a motion graphic artist, motion graphic designer. I'm a digital artist. I'm a digital VFX artist. I'm whatever. I just, I, I, I aim it at my audience. Penny out. So, yeah, I, I think the nuance really comes down to like when you're talking to students or new people getting into the industry, just like trying to explain what we do. Because if I'm talking to somebody, like another parent at school or something, and they're asked, oh, what do, what do you do? I generally will say I'm an animator because their brain doesn't really comprehend when I say I'm a motion designer or I'm a motion graphics artist. Like, well, what the fuck is that? Like, they don't really get that or they hear design like, Oh, you use illustrator all day. And like, no, I barely even touch illustrator anymore. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear other opinions too. Elizabeth, do you have a, a mic? Do you want to chime in today? I think mostly, uh, I don't know how influential people's parents are, but just this, this whole, I don't think the cognitive dissonance is going to be resolved until we can say what we do for a living. And they nod their heads and go, oh, yeah, I like what you did last week. Nice daily you posted. <laughs> no, I mean, it, the confusion over the term is, I would say, 90% a side effect of generated external to the industry and 10% internal to the industry. Just my opinion. JC, go for it. I saw you raise your hand in, in the video chat. Oh, no, I was laughing. Because it was like, <laughs> your neighbor was like, right daily yesterday, Mark. Uh, how's your lawn doing? And I thought that was a hilarious juxtaposition. Hey, people just got shouted out on Joe Rogan's podcast. So who knows? Every day might be, you know, a new term for everyone. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, that's like a total tangent. We'll we'll stay on this. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I was gonna see. I don't know if Raphael's got a uh, mic, but he's made some good points in the in the chat. Um, let's see. Well, maybe we can. So I see a few people touching on like how it affects jobs, and like Penny, you just said like the whole what was it, producer, motion designer, like the that weird the promotion thing that we're saying um like do you think it is hurting us when the people that are hiring or like putting out these job posts don't really know what to call us i'm throwing that out to anyone i if i could just chime in i i find it irritating because i um it's an existing market it's an existing set of people and i just find it uh a thing that corporations sometimes do is they want to stick with their own internal naming system as opposed to being, you know, adapting to what it's actually called in the market. And so I think like um, it makes, it muddies uh, responsibilities and expectations and ultimately will hurt their job search and will uh, put the wrong people into the job. Like I honestly, had no idea what that job was. And when I, when I, if I see producer in the title of a job, I'm, I'm going to skip it. I'm uninterested. And so 
I think that there are, um, uh, I don't know, like I just, I feel clear communication is good for the industry, is good for us. That's all. <laughs> went quiet. Sorry, I was typing something. <laughs> Didn't have a response. Um, Raphael, you said you had a mic, so hop in uh, yeah. whenever. Go for it. Be interested to hear your take. Okay. Hi, people. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Good. Uh, great. Yeah, so I think it's like the industry has gotten so diverse that there's so many um, special the skills that someone could have that it's really hard to name them all in one term. Maybe we have like a, a term that covers them all like motion graphics maybe or motion design. But in general, uh, it's for me, it's the most important is that the client knows what he wants and therefore uh, they like for me, it's always hard to when I get a summarization or description that doesn't specify the stuff so it's less about the specified naming but more about the text that comes with it the context so even if they call me motion producer or something if there's a thought through description underneath that says what they really need then there's not a problem even if they call me strange things <laughs> i guess <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like this discussion has happened over time and even last year around half res i think we were talking with ryan summers about like he was doing all this like interactive type stuff and he's like it's still under like motion the motion graphics umbrella like kind of the um the like in like say a hotel, like the experience that you have with all the stuff on the walls and the lighting and all that, like it's still kind of motion graphic-y, you know, in a way. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the terms are so broad. And then you all, what I find too sometimes is a lot of stuff online could also, like some of the work I've seen could also be categorized as like, vfx right but it's like motion graphics and it's like all right well where's that distinction you know i don't know if anyone has thoughts on that too but yeah it's it is a really big umbrella because like just working with zubair quince all we did was projection mapping and there was still motion design aspects to it and animation aspects to it and even like vfx aspects to it so like, what, what do I call myself while I'm there? Am I a projection artist? Like, that just sounds weird when there's so much going on where, like, MoGraph and motion design encompasses so much. That's it. So, JC, you call yourself a post-production specialist. That's, that's interesting because I think of that as, like, very specific and niche. Do you want to talk about that? I, I was just saying at, at one time I did call myself that. Um, because I was doing a lot of edit. I was doing a lot of, it was, I was doing a lot more than I do now. I was doing sound and, and edit and a little bit of like just everything. Uh, and at that time there was no like term for me being like, I can do whatever you need in post. Uh, so that's what I called myself. But I found that like, if you want to like really focus in on something, calling yourself thing specialist, 
Um, can I, I mean, I don't have any client information to back this up, but I felt like it was a good term to use. Kind of deviating about what you said there and kind of what we're talking about, like how motion design encompasses so much. Does anyone else keep getting hit up to do like way more than they used to? Like I find that sound design is becoming a much more of an ask for me. And I like, I'm not good with sound. Like I know like the bare minimum to get by, but I would much rather hire out a sound designer. So when I see job postings, it's just like, what, like, why do they need like 5,000 things for us to do? Like, why can't, why can't we just specialize in the things that we need to specialize in? So is that happening to anyone else too? Mark, I see you shaking your head. Did you want to comment? On yeah. I mean, I think, Let's see. So I guess it's a double-edged sword for me because A, one side of the sword is if I get hired as like day rate or whatnot and I'm asked to do all this stuff, it's kind of like, wow, they're asking so much, right? On the flip side of that, if I'm doing like project rate, direct to client, and they're asking for sound design, they're asking for all that, in my head, I'm like, all right, well, that's more value. There's more to this project. I can charge more. There's, you know, and yeah, I'm not super great at it, but after doing it for a bit through like my video editing years and whatnot and, and building up different resources of sound effects and all that stuff, but also finding other people that are sound designers and knowing what they charge and being able to outsource that part, like, I feel like in a project um, pricing scenario, it's almost to our advantage that the clients are asking for more of that stuff because then that's more responsibility and more things we can deliver for them. It goes to color correction to, you know, um, I don't know, the, the whole kind of post production part of it too. Even if it's like an editing thing you know um i think if you're in-house or you're hired as a day rate the more that's being put on your plate is definitely a bummer but also it might lengthen out that project for you so it might be lucrative but also on the project um pricing side of things i see that as more lucrative as well um but just to play like devil's advocate here deviating just a little bit what is you know if you have a client coming to you asking for video editing sound design motion graphics and all that but your specialty is in the motion graphics motion design animation whatever you're calling it um i kind of feel like that is where like that those are the clients that Adobe's trying to go after in a way, right? Like they want the, they want to be able to use the Mogerts and they want to have like templated stuff. And what's to say client XYZ can tell the difference between a Mogert that you're using or like a straight up custom one that you may design and spent, you know, five days animating, you know? So it's like, I find, it's like this weird kind of um, gray area, if you will. Maybe I'm not thinking clearly about this, but you know, I like to think that I'm, I'm 
an animator and I specialize in that, but if they're throwing you like this huge ball of work in, then they probably don't even know what they're needing or asking for, you know? And maybe that finds its way into sound design and all the other aspects of the projects. And it looks like Kevin, you're raising your hand. I don't know if you go for it, if you have some thoughts. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, the, I've run into this a lot and I'm sorry if I make this comparison all the time, but I feel like filmmaking is a great example to, to pair with this. Uh, I've used the term filmmaker because I need that all encompassing term that describes all that stuff that they don't know that they're asking for when they hire me to make, Project X, because Project X isn't just this one thing. It also does involve sound design. Like to get from state, like point zero to a finished, completed project, it involves editing, it involves color grading, it involves this, it involves that, et cetera. Um, not just in film. But they don't necessarily always know. Like there are people that you'll find working for that speak a little bit of the language, but unless they're also an artist and you know, like they may not know exactly what it is they're asking you to do. And they don't really want to know either. I've found a lot of the cases like they just want to hire you to do this thing that they need and they'll just pay you to go get it done. And that's where you're like, well, to get it done, you run into, oh, well, can we get this little uh, when it flips around? Can it make like a swooshing sound or something along those lines, you know? And then uh, you're just like, well, I'm not a sound designer. And then all of a sudden it kind of like breaks their bubble in there that like, oh, I need to hire somebody else too. And that I guess runs into the difference with um, budgeting out your own projects and sort of playing that producer role in, you know, producing that piece for them. Where if you aren't necessarily a sound designer and you have to use this other stuff or buy a pack or hire uh, an actual sound person versus being hired just to do this one specific thing. So the difference between being hired as like a filmmaker or as just a cinematographer where on set, you're only responsible for like just operating the camera and you know, like the look of the thing. So it depends on that. And I find like today as a freelance artist, you need to have at least um, not necessarily all these different skill sets, but be ready to, deliver on those things and have those things in your pocket. Like if I need to do sound, here's my arsenal of tools and resources that I have in my network to like my sound people, my uh, audio licensing stuff, aside from audio jungle, you know, stay away. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. you know, I things totally like that, like where do you go for those things? Uh, but I feel like the, the discussion there, I don't know. It just made me think about like, clients expectations for for projects and and they don't uh, you hear this term from time to time with like you don't know what you don't know right and they don't know what necessarily they're asking like they don't know the difference between if you were to be like uh well i use redshift instead of octane they're gonna be like <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, we have no idea what that means so Blank stare <laughs> yeah a lot of, a lot of stuff like that and they're like well does it look good because we don't care you know yeah yeah, I just did this project and went through all the revisions. We only had one small tweak to the actual animation. Everything else was, can you try this sound? And like, maybe add more of this into it. And it was like, all right, well, I'm not a sound designer. The budget doesn't have sound design in it because you never even brought this to the table. Part of that's on me for not clarifying it on up front, you know, but I was like, okay, 
this is kind of ludicrous because like, I'm not a sound guy, <laughs> you know, like if it was so important, like that should have been communicated up front and anyway. Um, but Dave, you uh, raised your hand in the chat. Hop in there. Yeah. Um, not everybody's good at sound, which is understandable. It's kind of a different animal, but over the years I've kind of learned a lot. Uh, especially new in podcasting and stuff like that. I just, you know, I actually have fun doing it. I try and mess around and write songs and all that kind of fun stuff now. But um, we definitely charge for it as, a, you know, we like to market ourselves as a studio, one-stop shop. So that includes, you know, any sort of illustration that we're going to do for something, which I'm not the best illustrator. So if it's something that's completely from scratch i'm gonna do i'm gonna hire somebody um if it's really complicated sound i'm gonna hire somebody but for the most part i feel comfortable doing my own sound and so i do charge for that and um you know that's that's kind of a good point kevin that you had you know you know about oh, the client's gonna say oh well i need to outsource this and outsource that but if you market yourself as somebody who can take care of that for them you know, um, I, I think they're more likely to stay with you because they know that they, they really don't know how you're handling it on the back end, just, just that you're handling it, you know? So if you say, well, that's sound design and we didn't really, uh, we didn't really put that in here, but we can, then they're like, oh, okay, cool. And they feel good because they're like, oh, well, he just took care of it for me. And, uh, you know, we, we feel good about this, this company because they just take care of whatever we throw at them. Um, so, you know, outsourcing or not, I feel like just go ahead and say you can do it as long as you're charging for it, you know, as long as you're not somehow losing money on the deal. Um, but yeah, it is a different animal. Um, I really like doing it because there's, there's something that's very satisfying about doing an animation. Like I just did some sports graphics and, uh, you know, we said we do the sound effects and stuff for them too. And they, they gave us the music they wanted and it was really fun to sit there and, and polish it off with those sounds because then you feel like it's really coming together and there's just something super satisfying about that yeah like i i think the point i was coming at is like these hr postings that people are doing where it's just like all-encompassing because if i come like if a client comes to me with a project and they're expecting a, like a full video to be handled in my court everything with storyboarding to final delivery with sound design and everything I'm not going to turn that down. I'm going to use the resources I have at hand and like go to Sonos Sanctus or go to whoever and have them do sound design. And then if I need a specific type of illustration or hard surface modeling or something, then I might go to like Billy because he's a great modeler. Like I'm going to outsource the stuff that I don't feel comfortable doing and I'm not going to turn down work. Um, but I, I'm thinking more along the lines of like people that are still full-time and how much is being asked to be put on their plate lately. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. One other thing that I did want to add to that is that it's very important to make sure that you specify that you're charging for that because think about what happened to uh, the editing industry. It used to be there's somebody who shoots, there's somebody who produced, there's somebody who edits, and then all of a sudden they're a predator. And then all of a sudden everybody wants to hire someone that does everything and it kind of cheapens it overall. It's like, oh, you're just going to take care of everything. So I think it's really important to specify that this is a completely different thing that you're charging extra for so that it doesn't cheapen the industry as a whole because and 
this is probably a bigger topic <laughs> overall, but, but, you know, as motion designers, I think we're all really, for the most part, really nice, cool people. And what happens is we want to go above and beyond. And then eventually what happens is it's expected and it's expected for a lower price. So I think it's important to really specify what you're doing line item it out and make sure that you are charging specifically for those things. Yeah. And one thing I want to just uh, kind of bring up around the sound stuff too, is as animators and whatever we're calling it, there you go. Just, that was just like, you know, the, the subtle or the subliminal mind just saying animator, but uh, we should always be thinking of sound, right? because you can make a great animation and if there's no sound, it's going to kind of be half of what it could be, you know? So in a way it's like, I, I don't know the best way to describe it, but you know, being able to sound design or even think of how it's going to sound is really going to breathe that much more life into your piece. So if we're, um, if we're just kind of like writing that off of like, Hey, we don't do that. Then in a way we're not thinking of that either, you know? Yeah. I, I kind of want to jump off of what you're saying, Kevin, about quality control, like as an artist, say, imagine you do an awesome visual piece and the sound design person that the client hires does a horrible job. You've now lost, the control over the final outcome of the piece that you put so much work into. Um, so it, it's definitely great to have that control in, in your hands and hiring a motion or a sound designer that you know does great work or hiring a cinematographer if you're doing some live video stuff, you know. Um, so I, I think that's great too that, you know, you need to know when to tell the client to hand over all control to you so you, you can have the best final product. Yeah. And again, I, I think that, you know, just, it comes down to uh, what type of hire you're running into. If a company or person is coming to you for an entire project and you're in charge of it, or if you're just uh, being hired to be a certain cog in the machine, um, you know, like for instance, a lot, you know, like in the studio environment, VFX industry, you know, like you're not going to get hired to do entire scenes. You're going to get hired to just do like the simulations on the rocks that, you know, like happen when like the foot hits the ground or something, you know, like you spend months on rocks. That's it. <laughs> just that. Yeah. Like Foley artists that, you know, you see, I, I don't know if anyone follows any Foley artists on Instagram, but it's really cool to see the behind the scenes of them just like watching a video. And then they've got like, a shoe and like a comb and like the weird objects they use to, to make something sound specific for that scene. Like that, that just blows my mind. I'm, I'm not the specialist for that. I need to outsource for that. I, I will find some links for you. <laughs> Foley I love Foley artists. I want to see their Instagrams. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I feel like there's a SNL skit or something that I've seen years ago of like fully artists and they're like shaking the like cereal boxes and they're doing all this funny shit. Uh, I'll have to dig that up somewhere. But yeah, I mean, 
people like that are uh, few and far between, I feel like. If Speaking you know, of which, though, just in terms of resources, uh, Adobe has a huge library of free sounds. Uh, the old Final Cut Pro, I, I think it's Final Cut 7 Suite, had like a shit ton of sound effects in that. Yeah, 11 gigs, JC. Yeah, that's right. It's huge. So that's a great place to start. I think if you just Google, I think, I don't know if it's Audition that has it built in or whatnot, but uh, you can find it and download it. Um, let's see. There's, yeah, you got your audio jungles, your premium beats. Although I think premium beat just got rid of all their sound effects stuff. I think it's only music now. And then there's also the, uh, I just downloaded it recently, Soundly, which is pretty much a UI, like a user interface for everything that's on like freesounds.org. And it pretty much categorizes stuff and you can pay for their premium, which is really, I think it's like 15 bucks a month that adds all these other libraries. So if you're looking for some resources, start there. Nice, JC, you just put the link in the chat. I will definitely save that for our notes. Um, speaking of links, we're already at 11. Do people want to keep continue talking about this or should we try and wrap up the call? I'm, I'm open for, for whatever. No, no, I think that was a pretty succinct type meeting. Yeah, yeah I think that was good. Like, I think we could probably start wrapping it up. I saw you put a bunch of links in there. Uh, yeah. Share yeah. those. Put. I don't think that's the right link that I just copied. Why is JC's link not copied? Let's see, copy. There we go. All right. Um, yeah. So we had a new person join the or asked to join the MoGraph Slack last week. Um, he goes by on air. I hope I'm saying that right. But his name is Rolando Berry, and I just posted his Instagram. Um, he's got a lot of great work, and I just wanted to share it out there and. Pedro recommended that he come on and do a breakdown of some of the work. If you go to his website, he's got some awesome phone pieces and things like that. So um, I just want to share his work and hopefully maybe get him on to do a breakdown in the future. And then Exponza just released a new Nike spot. I think it's Nike. Let me make sure. Yeah, Nike. Um, and it's very simple, but effective in, in my opinion um i guess it's not that new i just saw it it says two months ago but i only just saw it recently because they started posting it on instagram um but yeah kind of going back to like what we do like not everything has to be full movement in motion design a lot of times now we're seeing like very cinematic pieces that have like very isolated and purposeful movement which i think is really cool um it looks like mark you put in the Beeple Joe Rogan link. Yeah, I just dropped that in there. You know, just to riff off your uh, comment about like well-executed camera stuff and whatnot, you had put something in the Slack a few days ago about 
Stranger Things three and how well it was like edited and oh yeah, just like I don't know. I I've been watching Chernobyl too, mm-hmm. and just looking at some of the shots, like really trying to think about like, all right, some of these are really good in like rewinding it, and then being like, wow, that camera moves super simple but the way it like moves past like just the blocking of it and stuff is really interesting so again it's something that i need to work on in like my work um but you know you can create pretty cool and interesting shots by not having like crazy let's use the term like motion graphic-y like zoom fast crazy camera movements you know but uh you can make some really awesome cinematic shots with not a whole lot of like crazy stuff to it you know yeah like and maybe i can find the like school of motion just put out a thing on match shots in motion design like how to do like a match shot and that's one of the things that i've been watching in stranger things is like their match shot techniques in at least season three are so fucking good like there there's one scene where somebody i think if I'm remembering correctly, like they're turning on a faucet of water, but as soon as the water starts coming out, it cuts to a shower head where it's showering somebody and like it's lined up so well that you don't even notice the cut. Like it still feels like it's the same environment until they do a, like a mid shot and you see the person in the shower, like, oh wow, they're they're not at a faucet anymore. This is a completely new scene. It's like that, like that's so smart and it's simple and it, it, it definitely takes pre-planning, but it, like things like that, I feel like could take a lot of motion design pieces to like a whole, whole nother level. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So if anyone has any good like cinematic or like TV shows that they're following that has like really great editing and pacing, I, I definitely want to start investing time in that and studying that a lot more. Um, oh yeah, Raphael, Scott, yeah, Scott Pilgrim, um, man, who, I forget who directed that, but they always have really great shots. They also did, um, Hot Fuzz and, um, Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright and Baby Driver. Edgar Wright is just like a master at lining up, uh, edits and cuts and making things flow and smooth with the blocking. So um, what we're we talking about? Oh, uh, Beeple. I think I shared it in the chat already. Yeah, I did. So mm-hmm. do you want to talk about that since you shared that link or put it in there? Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it, it's pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, like he's got just an insane following. So who knows, you know, like yeah. what might happen there. I mean, Beeple's already big enough, but it's pretty cool. It, yeah, it's cool that it, it now crosses – into that territory mainstream Um, yeah well like he's already people's already gone to mainstream a little bit with like his fashion stuff but yeah joe rogan's like a whole different side of mainstream like i i feel like the fashion thing is like a kind of a niche even though it's mainstream and then like joe rogan has so many damn listeners across so many different avenues that probably have never heard of people and now he's getting uh Mm -hmm. Um, and then you have the C40 live. Yeah. Th- that's just got the C-Graph lineup for Maxon and it's got a little blurb of all the presenters. So, yeah. Um, I'll just, I'll go through and read all the presenters cause it's really cool. We've got Billy chicken. Who we talked about earlier, Blake, Catherine, Brianne gag. 
Dave Koss. Dave Koss. That name sounds familiar. Dave Koss. Who's that? <laughs> Dave's here in the chat with us. Um, Durant. I'm just going to mess this up. Durate, Elvis, and Jake Allen. Emilio Tapate. Eric Small. James Ramirez, which is awesome to see him getting on the circuit. He worked on a lot of the Spider-Verse uh, end title stuff. So that's uh, like I really want to go to see Graph now because of that. Which is uh, Sp- that Spider-Man's on Netflix now. Booyah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I didn't realize. Now that I'm reading his bio, he worked on the title sequence- sequences for Stranger Than Fiction and uh, Quantum of Solace. Holy shit, I did not realize that about him. Um, Jan Sladeko, Jessica Herrera, uh, Laura Kot- Kotlowski. I totally just butchered that. I'm sorry, Laura, if you're listening to this at any point. Uh, Lerone, <laughs> Ash, Kinez, Eldar. Man, I'm, I'm doing terrible, but uh, <laughs> Marty Romances, Megan Newell, Mike Winkleman, a.k.a. Beeple, Minshi, Robin Haddow, Russ Gautier. It's kind of French, so I hope I'm saying that right. Shams Mecca and uh, Victor Dimitrov. So, man, that's a, that seems like a really long list. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten... 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 artists like that. I don't know if I recall a list ever being that long before. Dave, do you know in the recent years, since you've been doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff, is this like a super long list compared to normal? Maybe. (laughs) I think it's about the same. About the same? Okay. Yeah. A lot of new names. Um, A lot of times they'll do doubles. Like mm-hmm. somebody will present one day and they'll present another day in another time slot. They might be doing less of that. So, yeah, I was gonna say I, I remember at NAB there were a lot of doubling up, especially like people he did his daily uh, every day. I think. Yeah. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how many are actually doubling up. Um, what else? Oh, speaking of people that we know, like Dave Koss, Penny put out a new experiment. I put that in our links doing some like cool snow stuff and Redshift and Cinema 4D. I just thought it was really cool. So I threw that in there. Um, Mark, it looks like you just added the Battle Axe uh, link. Yeah. Uh, they just released an update for Overlord, which if you don't know is probably one of the best plugins you can buy for After Effects slash Illustrator. So uh, let me just pull up where did it go? Uh, Native guides, symbol breaking, better way to center the anchor points. Uh, Only one overlord panel required on AI or AE, which is good because I was running into some issues with that where it would pop up in one and not the other. And then I would have to restart each application. It was, I don't know, it was a little weird. Um, some text enhancements and whatnot, but uh, battle axe, is it .com? I should, .co, battleaxe.co. So check that out. Um, I think that's, that's it. And then we also have the link that, uh, JC shared for the, um, sound effects from Adobe. So we'll put that in the show notes. Um, cool. 
Yeah. Um, I think that's it. I think that's but, it. Yeah, I think this was an awesome chat, and I didn't even realize we had gotten as far as we did when I first uh, checked the time to do links. So um, awesome. thank you. Yeah, thanks, everybody. And I guess for... Uh, people who didn't catch last week's call just going forward, we're going to be doing 10 a.m. Um, for the foreseeable future. I saw a couple of people on Slack chime in that uh, kind of sucks for West Coasters. That's been pushed back a little bit more. Um, Mark and I have talked in the past about doing multiple versions of this. So if it keeps coming up, Casey Hupke was in Slack. I don't know if you saw that, uh, Mark, but he... I saw yeah, he said he wants to start his own West Coast version, so I would totally be down with that. Um, if there's other people listening, maybe we could do that in the future. We can definitely discuss it. Um, if you ever want to send us stuff, info at mondaymeeting.org. We'll email us. You can find us pretty much on social media everywhere at Monday Meeting um, or Monday underscore meeting. Yeah, it should populate. <laughs> yeah, any of those combinations. And um, yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to the future and getting some more guests and breakdowns on here and open to suggestions there as well. Yeah. If you guys have any links, inspiration, whatever, um, people to follow on Instagram, people to follow on Twitter, people sure, to follow yeah. on MySpace, <laughs> follow on TikTok, I don't, whatever. Uh, just shoot us a message. Yeah. Shows that you're watching too, like we are discussing today, anything that has kind of inspired you, I'm down for it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for joining. Um, we appreciate it. And uh, we'll post this up pretty soon. Um, until then, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Liam, good? We're good. Thanks, everybody. Have a All great right, Thanks. See you guys next week. See ya. Bye.